Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 18 of the Print Design Podcast, the place where we are talking all things print design, giving you a behind-the-scenes look at the project planning and the production process from a designer's perspective for these amazing print projects that we are doing a deep dive into. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and my guest today, I actually interviewed back over on the Quickie Podcast in episode 132, and it was a blast. Awesome interview, and as soon as this podcast was up and running, I had to reach out to this guest to get them on this show, and it was beautiful timing, harmonious, harmonious timing, because very recently, uh, this guest and their studio completed a beautiful packaging project. Folded carton packaging for a cannabis company in the area that they are living in. And uh, it's amazing. It just swept Instagram when it first came out. And uh, and we're here to do a deep dive on it. So who the frick is this guest? Today my guest is Austin Dunbar from Durham Branding Co. That's right. The man himself. During this episode, we talk about a number of early print stuff that Austin was involved in, including a mad flex for a downy label. Yeah, downy, like the, the detergent for washing your clothes. Yep, mad flex. Then we do a deep dive, a dissection of the project for Kentucky Crafted, which is an amazing packaging project that they recently completed for a CBD brand located in Kentucky. And this one's awesome. A beautiful team came together to create this. Austin gives us all of the behind the scenes looks and how papers were picked and how many they produced and budgets. We're talking numbers and how long this process took and all that kind of stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a gem. My guest, Austin Dunbar. Hit the music. Welcome to the Print Design Podcast, the show where we talk about all things print and packaging. We go behind the scenes with designers and talk about the print projects they designed that really rocked their world. From file prep to holding the finished product in their hand and all the key decisions in between. So let's talk ink on paper. Austin, welcome to the Print Design Podcast, man. How are you today? I'm good, bud. How about yourself? Doing terrific. I can't complain. It's a beautiful sunny day over here, and it's a long weekend Friday. Yeah, man. And, um, it's uh, 4.20 on a Friday here before the, before the extended weekend, so glad to kind of round out the crazy week uh, and kind of talk shop and kind of kick back for a little bit. Awesome. Well, put your feet up and let's get into it. Um, why don't you kick it off by just telling the listeners a little bit about yourself? For sure, man. Um, my name is Austin Dunbar. Uh, I own and manage a design studio um, uh, formerly called Durham Branding Company, which is the, which is just a mouthful. It sounds like one sound coming out of your mouth. Um, <laughs> I decided to uh, trim it back a little bit and just kind of call it what everyone else calls it and just call, uh, call it Durham. Um, and we're located in Covington, Kentucky been around for um almost getting close to seven years 
Uh, and that's what I do professionally and personally. Uh, married, have three little daughters, uh, and uh, uh, kind of live, work, and play here in Covington, Kentucky. So that's just a brief one-floor elevator uh, speech I can give you. That's awesome. No, you nailed it. And uh, I have three kids myself, two girls and a boy. And you'll understand this excitement. My kids are sleeping over at Grandma's house tonight. Oh, man. Like, what a blessing that is. We, <laughs> uh, with with COVID and everything else going on, it's kind of, it's you know, it's kind of been on the family front. It's kind of a cool thing. Like, you're kind of bounded by time and, and, and space and location because we really haven't been letting, you know, the kids go and spend the night at their grandparents' house or their friend's house specifically. Uh, but uh, yeah, man, that's not, that's a nice little break. You know it. Um, so Austin, let's get into a little bit of print talk here. What's your earliest memory of print or packaging? Maybe it's something from your childhood, your teens. Yeah, for sure. Um, earliest, uh, I, I've said this before some, some other time, um, but I'm from the generation where it wasn't necessarily – you're cut from records, but you're cut from a thousand K CD booklets yes. that you know, were 17 inches thick and had a bunch of Stone Temple Pilot CDs in it uh, and Van Halen CDs. So I remember pulling out, I remember pulling out CDs um, from my dad's just massive CD book collection. He had records, but like we just, I didn't, I don't even know if I remember where the records were. I just remember where these big black zip up uh, suitcases almost were, and I remember. Um, pulling CDs out. I was sneaking them, pulling CDs out and uh, popping them in. And I was listening to the music based off of what the album looked like. So that was the first memory of print um, that I remember. Uh, and like flipping through the booklets and stuff like that. But then as I got a little bit older, then it's like Transworld Skate and CC, CSS, CCS um, Magazine. I always forget the acronym of that. Uh, and, you know, just kind of cut from skate magazine cultures and things like that. A little bit more kind of visual punch, but um, yeah, no, first memory was definitely kind of flipping through uh, what my kids call Big Papa's CD collection. <laughs> Dude, I totally remember those. And the excitement when you would buy a new CD book where you could just like file all your CDs and you start putting them in like alphabetically and putting the book yeah. or the little sleeve that came with yeah. it in with it. Yeah, one thousand percent. And like, what a sad medium just to die. Like, because it was so, it was so cool. And now, you know, if you're just you're maybe lucky enough to get an album, a digital album cover on your, you know, your uh, Apple Watch or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, just like texture and type and how they were all. Every booklet was completely different. It's like its own little vignette of like trying to capture the band. Yeah, that was the first. That was the first kind of like print nuance. But you don't know what the hell you didn't know back then. You know what I mean? I wasn't going through it as you know a four year old and thinking, look at all this printed material. No, uh, you're just you know you're just kind of taking it from just visual aesthetic, and then you know popping in, filling the blank band, uh, and realizing to this day I don't like Stone Temple Pilots, but they had a really cool uh, CD back in the day. I remember. Yeah, so you're like talking about Stone Temple Pilots, and I think you said Van Halen was the other one. Yeah. And when I'm my CD memories is like Will Smith, Big Willie style. Oh, dude, like we had that. I, DMX yeah, and yeah, Cisco, Thong Song. Oh, uh, yeah. Now you're talking. Was it Here comes the dragon. Unleash, unleash the dragon. Yeah, unleash, unleash the, the dragon. dragon. Yeah. Uh, Blueprint was that Blueprint one or two? Jay Z. I follow. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I was, what year were you born? Uh, I was 85. 
Okay, I was I was eighty seven, um, so a little bit after you, but no, definitely remember um, when we started purchasing albums. So I, this is probably a good dovetail. The first album that we purchased um, with our own money uh, was a Goo Goo Dolls album. Oh yeah, the same one that everybody purchased. Yeah, but then I think I had an Aqua CD. Remember that that Barbie song? Yep. Um, and obviously, I think every kid I know, for the most part, had Space Jam CD. Uh, um, so you just classics. Absolutely classic. I put on uh, Barbie Girl for my kids now, and they just tell me to turn it off. What is this crap? Yeah, turn it off. Yeah, yeah. They're like, That's not Jonas Brothers. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm rocking out to Barbie Girl right now. I'm just saying that right. it might have ended up on. That's funny. <laughs> So, Austin, what about recently? Any recent interactions with printer packaging that you really enjoyed? Yeah, for sure, man. Um, we've been uh, we've we've been doing a lot of that recently. A lot of projects are still, you know, we're keeping close to the chest because of you know legalities and NDAs. But yeah, yeah. The, the one the one that saw the light of day on the internet um, was one we worked on for nine months. It's actually a CBD brand uh, here in Kentucky called Kentucky Crafted. And that was a uh, project that we sent an estimate out for. And what we were um, estimating was not what the final product ended up being in terms of just like SKUs, um, different product lines, A, B, C, and D. Um, so it ended up kind of really enveloping into something that was a lot more massive than what we originally thought, uh, which, was, which, which was great. Um, and what was cool about that project and what was not cool about that project was it with print, there's so much trial and error, um, especially when you're making what we were considering a premier kind of like beauty brand product. Uh, you can't just you know run that through a copy printer and, and say here you go and you know sell it for 120 bucks. It's got to it's got to look like 120 bucks before you even touch it. Uh, so it was an interesting interesting project, interesting client. Um, they're you know they're friends of ours now, and uh, it was interesting to kind of see them because they've never really walked through a full branding packaging uh, project before, uh, and kind of just watching them and watching their eyes kind of balloon up at just all of the specificities and the differentiations and all the things that need to go into packaging to make it kind of fit harmoniously within a set, but all the individual little one-offs that need to happen to be able to differentiate between, I think it was 20, it was like 24 products across 20 or like 16 SKUs. And I forget how many different, um, gosh, the dye line for the boxes, I think there was like 20 or 30 something different dye lines. So, and it was, it was, it was, pressed in actual gold foil uh, in certain parts of, of the boxes. Then obviously we had the labels for all the CBDs. We did hang tags. We kind of cut it from the whiskey cloth. Uh-huh. Uh, we were treating this brand. Um, so kind of having it being a little bit more subdued in, in terms of visuals, but everything there was there for a purpose and for a reason uh, to have kind of high impact. And, you know, it was a super high dollar project in terms of just print cost. Uh, and so that was a fun, that was a fun one for us um, that, it got love on the die line, which is you know a nice thing. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, Instagram seemed to enjoy it. Um, but that's an ongoing project that we're still constantly working on. And that's probably the biggest, most fresh thing that I could probably talk about. Uh, that came out, uh, 
gosh, um, maybe two, three months ago, something like that, um, came up live. We started working on it, I think, March of last year. Uh-huh. So, That's a yeah. long one. Mm-hmm. So did you, before I sort of ask this next question, is this the project that you want to do a deep dive on later on? Sure, man. Or you can, or you can ask you, we can deep dive on whatever you want to deep dive on. I'm cool. I'm cool with whatever. Uh, if you're like, Hey, let's deep dive on whiskey or beer or, or, or deodorant or, you know, whatever I'm down for whatever you want to do. I think this one would be a really cool one just based on what you're saying about the scale of this project. So I would love to deep dive into that. But before I get there, um, why do you think print and packaging is so special to designers? What makes them want to just hang on to things? Um, I'm, I'm more, I'm more in the camp to like death to digital. Uh, I just, I just feel like there's a tactile nature. There's a realness, there's tangibility to print, um, that you just don't have in, you know, on an iPad or on an Apple watch, like I made mention of earlier or, or on a computer for that matter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, is going to be an artifact of the time that it was created in. And that's easily faked on the internet. Um, if you're just doing digital stuff, right. And there's, there's certain things like, so like, well, I'll bring up whiskey and beer, for example, like you grab an old beer can, um, from you know pre-prohibition or post or like a whiskey bottle like it and it's still filled with liquid and this that and the other like it's it's wearing the time stamp that it was made and it's covered in patina that you can't fake um and not everything that we design here in the studio is supposed to be time tested for a century i'm not i'm not suggesting that at all Uh but the tangibility and the realness and i think just the authenticity of printed material whether it's package design um, whether it's magazines, books, et cetera. Um, I, for me, I'll always, I'll always bet on that over, you know, an Amazon Kindle or, you know, something I see, but some sort of cool UI UX, which nothing against those people, um, some parallax site on the internet. And so that's an opinion of one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously that stuff matters specifically, you know, during COVID and this, that, and the other digital is just booming, but I don't know, man, like it's, 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 it's an art form to get everything that you have to get on it and say what you want to say on a thing and have it um, be able to print to scale with insert budgets um, and all the other you know extra parameters around print that uh, you just don't have those kinds of factors in an RGB world. For sure. And I love the way that you explained the beer and sort of the older vintage beer stuff. And as soon as you said that, I remembered when we, uh, my family and I were in Ireland last April. Yeah, it was last April, 2019. And in Dublin, there's the Guinness Storehouse, the Guinness Store Factory. And we went in and we toured this place. And one of the displays that they have in there is every single different Guinness bottle that has ever existed and held Guinness. Every single different style, different print, different design, different color was all behind this glass case. And there were hundreds and hundreds of them. And they were all unique and all different. And the older ones had this, you know, vintage aesthetic that just from wearing naturally um, all the way up to the new stuff. And it was such a cool experience that some guy making a bottle and screen printing or putting a label on it a hundred years ago had no idea that... I'd be looking at that in a hundred years and be like, that is crazy cool. 
Yeah, for sure, man. And, you know, those kinds of trophy rooms have a kind of aroma to them, you know. Uh, it, it just has this essence of age and, uh, and timelessness. And, you know, I think the Internet's going to be timeless, but I think we're still in the beginning stages of, of kind of knowing where that's going to navigate. And print, um, print's just the, it's just the tried and true. You can't fake it. You know, if you do, if you do something on the internet, you can fix it real quick and put it back up. If you, if you mess up, if you mess up a big print job, that cash is coming out of your ass somehow. Um, and yes. you can, uh, you can't fake it. And we've been on that side of the seesaw before. So that's why I'm able to say that. Uh, and so there's just, it, it's just raw and real. And I think designers appreciate, you know, raw and real, at least I hope so. Mm-hmm. And actually, that is a beautiful transition into this next question, um, which is, have you ever been a part of a print project that didn't turn out as you'd hoped, didn't go well, went sideways somehow? Can you tell us about that, your experience with it? Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of a good one that's without getting into like client minutia. Um, uh, okay, so so here's a good one. What's interesting uh, some recent projects. So I, I made a joke um, end of last year, earlier this year, that uh, 2020 is the year of foil for Durham. I don't know what it is. All we're doing is foils. And um, it's interesting um, trying to match foils to um, Pantones, you know, PMS okay. colors. Yep. Because uh, they're not always hand in hand, right? Yep. So, you know, you're pulling stuff and you're like, oh, this is going to be this, this is going to be that. And then somehow you miss the press check and then this, that, and the other. And then something comes out hyper lime green when it's supposed to be forest green and it's on, you know, 8,000 bottles. Um, that was, that's one of those where you get the email once you get a photo of it sent to you via text with three question marks. That you're like, oh, I'm in the I'm in the hot seat for this, um, and yeah. so then you kind of have to work backwards. But uh, you know, there's been other things too, like like day when this is an ancient this is an ancient story. But back in the day, I think ten years ago, when QR codes were in vogue, uh, QR codes were were cell phone specific back back when, and certain QR codes worked for Androids and others in iPhones, um, and we did this did this thing for, it was when I was working at another company, uh, uh, and did all of this printed material for this huge conference somewhere in the United States. Um, and at the time I had an Android. So everyone with an Android could get all this information they needed. And everyone with iPhones was the majority of them couldn't load up anything. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's just mistakes, but those kinds of things happen or like, hell, like we've had, we've had typos on final printed material. Uh, and, it's left, you know, it's left, it went through everybody um, uh, on all sides of the, of the client chain and the print chain. And then, you know, one random person at a distillery tour says uh, the word patience misspelled or something like that, right? I forget what the actual word was. Yeah, Johnny Grammar. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, okay, we've had, that's probably been the biggest thing. It's just grammatical errors that come out as final art because anytime things are final art, you're still going in and you're still fudging stuff. You're like moving where the the hits after the comma, you're fixing widow. You're just like, you're buttoning it up. Right. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, you know, accidents happen or you like have like a double space between a couple words or this, that, and the other. But 
those kinds of things are, you know, those tiny mistakes definitely cost you in the long run because nine and a half times out of 10, then uh, what becomes production cost is now studio cost. Yeah, exactly. And when you, like you were saying earlier in print, that could add up real fast. Oh yeah. Like, and, oh my gosh. Yeah. And then, and then, especially when you don't know some of the runs uh, your clients are printing and then you get that phone call that you have to pay for the run and then you call the printer and you're like, so how you're like, okay, cool. Like, you know, we'll cover it. No problem. How big's the run? And then, you know, their, their mouth, you hear their mouth like talking slow-mo. They're like 40,000 units. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Well, just don't even, let's not talk about price. Just email me and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of it. But, but yeah, you know, mistakes happen. Those kinds of mistakes happen, but we, we try to make sure we've gotten a lot better over the years. Um, try to make sure that kind of stuff doesn't fly out, but you know, there's certain things that, that does, that do happen, um, from time to time that you just can't catch. 100% and typos are one of those things that you could look through a office printed copy or a digital copy a hundred times and you won't mm-hmm. see it until you're staring at the press sheet at the press check after the plates are made yeah. you're like oh there it is we uh, bring it back Kentucky Crafted there was a there was um, some typos on Kentucky Crafted and I forget I forget what the word was but it was on every printed label across 23 Excuse. Oh man. Um, so you know, we worked through that, but uh, but yeah, and it was just a tiny slip. It just didn't. It just wasn't caught by anybody. Yep. Oh man. Um, Austin, what was the first print project you were ever a part of? Maybe kicking it back to university. Maybe fresh yeah, yeah. in the design world. Yeah, for sure. Um, so obviously, in, in university and college, you're, you know how it is. Like you you take all these different classes and they're like the next two months, we're going to do a package design project. And the next two months, we're going to do a booklet like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't really have that kind of stuff. Um, I did enjoy packaging while I was in school. Um, and, uh, but when, when I, when I left, um, I worked for a big global agency called Landor and I actually was, um, uh, on the fabric care team and I was doing, um, uh, I was doing this detergent called Downy. I was doing all of these scent skew um, uh, illustrations. Um, at the time, they were illustrations. They were these photorealistic things. But the first thing that I ever think professionally made it to print was this Downy scent, which is such a flex to say that you have a Downy scent. <laughs> That's a joke. Um, uh, was some Downy scent that was um, uh, targeted to a certain demographic of people. And uh, it was this um, like sunflower Photoshop montage of just stuff to communicate whatever the hell this thing smelled like. And that was the that was the first thing that uh, that was the first thing that made it print. And I did a couple toothpaste packaging for for Crest and stuff like that. Uh, but but yeah, man, that's the first that's the first uh, claim to fame was uh, was Downey and I think Philadelphia cream cheese. Down so big time stuff, buddy. Big time, big time stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, who cares? Yeah. But yeah, that was that was that, and it's kind of it's kind of funny to think about. You know, since then, just done ten thousand other uh, projects. But what was interesting about doing that stuff too, you know, working at a big uh, agency, um, you're very much in a silo of your of your job description. So. It's very much like, hey, graphic designer X, you just graphic design, and 
when after you graphic design, you hand it off to production Y, and production Y is going to do this, and then they're going to hand it off to printer Z. Um, and I was fortunate before starting Durham to be able to work at a handful of other um, more mid-sized to boutique agencies um, where you had to learn the A to Z process. And I talk about that all the time. Like you can graphic design your, your balls off if you want to, um, but making it real and tangible uh, and, hand, and doing an actual proper file handoff and file separation and, and, and print separation, this, that, and the other, that's a whole other job description that most, um, I would say young designers or even, I would say a lot of designers don't even necessarily understand uh, the weight and responsibility of that being the actual thing that matters. Like what you design, who cares? Like, but making that thing actual print, actually be able to be printable, it's, it's a completely different job aspect of, of designing. So I was super fortunate young, um, being younger and earlier on, um, like I said, at some of the mids and uh, boutique agencies to, to be able to learn that be cut uh, from that cloth because without that, you know, we would have a production staff of five, five people and I, I don't want that. Yeah, for sure. And you know, what you're describing too is, you know, where the designer has got this beautiful thing on screen, but it's got no bleed and it's full of RGB images. And that's where the production designer makes it right, makes it print ready, makes it actually something that a printer can take and turn it into reality. Exactly. Right. Or even like I've seen people like design on die lines um, and they're designing, uh, they're designing everything in Photoshop. Um, and then it's, a, and then it's a flat layer. And it, it, so, you know, I've, I've seen it, I've kind of seen it all um, and kind of worked with it all. But, uh, but yeah, it's definitely being able to make, and maybe that's where kind of my love comes from this like tangibility aspects. Like, it's, it takes a lot from your computer screen to in hand to actually make something real. And I think I, I appreciate that those kind of dots have to be connected to, uh, you know, from screen to printer to, to in hand. Um, I don't know. I kind of appreciate that way of working. Yeah, for sure. So Austin, I want to get into a deep dive now, if you're cool with that. I'm cool, buddy. And I think I would love to do a deep dive into the project, uh, the Kentucky Crafted that you were talking about. Um, So like in sort of the order that I've got this written in, and we can talk about it and just sort of, you know, shoot the breeze about it. But um, how did the project came to be? Like, how did you win this thing? What was the budget for this thing? Of course. Quoting and deciding on a vendor. Was that you guys? Was that the client? And what was your involvement there? you know, yeah. So I think we'll just kind of start with those kind of three topics, and then we'll get into the production stuff. Okay. Um, start with your first question again, buddy. Yeah. So how no? How the project come to be? Okay. So we one thousand percent of uh, the studio's clients, and you know, almost seven years have been um, word of mouth. Nice. Uh, and which you know is is great, um, uh, and I think it's a nice way to be able to win business, but it's also just an insane way to figure out your pipeline. Uh, but you know, that's uh, I think that's a tried and true method. And so it's not, we don't have a sales team that's going, you know, slinging business cards and cocktails and lunches on clients, or hypothetical clients. So mm-hmm. we were contacted by this company, um, uh, called Kentucky crafted. They were actually talking to another agency, um, and, uh, was very upfront about that. Uh, they, they stumbled upon our website and said they felt our aesthetic worked a little bit better than for what they uh, could see the vision up for the product and uh, met the met the team 
and the stakeholders. And then, yeah, man, um, you know, high five and kind of, kind of started going. So that's how, that's how that came to be, um, which is really kind of a testament to almost all the studio clients, whether they're, you know, small and local yokel or they're, you know, they're big and global and corporate, um, which I think is a cool thing to be able to say that. Um, uh, so that's how the, that's how the project came to be. When, when it came to quoting, made mention earlier, what we quote is not what we did. What we did in the quote, but how much of it wasn't quoted. Um, originally, we were just talking about doing, you know, your traditional stuff, like doing your branding, um, doing a handful of uh, SKUs. I think we were talking maybe three to five uh, originally. Uh, and uh, we sent a budget, we sent, a, you know, an estimate over for that. And with that, uh, we also started talking this client at the time was already existing. So they, they already had products and they already had a web presence and they were selling some stuff. Uh, but the way that they were selling their product, um, wasn't sh- shelf ready. Mm-hmm. They actually, they, they packaged everything in, um, these kind of like craft bags. Right. Got it. Uh, and so we, you know, they were talking to some big, um, national retailers and we we're like, Hey, listen, man, we got to get this thing in a box. Um, and they're like, okay, cool. So we, and we talked through a couple other things like, yeah, we'll do like whiskey neck tags or neck tags on each bottle and we can hand sign them and you do the batch numbers and all of this other stuff. That's again, cut from the cloth of whiskey, but uh-huh. I think it's very Kentucky centric and it made a lot of sense for this brand as well. Um, and so sent an estimate over and I think they responded to just like 20 minutes maybe. And they're like, here's the sign. Here's the signed estimate. Let's get going. Oh yeah. And so I was like, okay, cool. But that also means that you just underbidded the project by a lot of commas and zeros. Yep. When that happens, that's usually the way it goes. When it goes that fast, you're like, I should have charged more. Yeah, exactly. But you know, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, and, uh, uh, and so worked through it, did what we always do, did a handful of, you know, um, uh, creative rounds where we were, I always talk about, uh, and I walk clients through, um, I had this pool analogy that, so where they already existed, we were going to take what they have and then basically put it in three feet of the pool. And then from there, we're going to go three, six, nine, twelve. So threes close into what they had 12 feet all the way in the deep end. They don't have their foot on the ground. Um, and it's complete. Uh, evolution of, uh, or excuse me, complete revolution of what they have. You know, if we're at a stick, it's an evolution. Um, if we're at a 12, it's definitely a revolution. Um, and we uh, we walked through it. And so as we were on the project, the project kind of snowballed into becoming a bigger project. And so we didn't necessarily capitalize or really change the, the estimate. We just kept going through, going with the flow and this, that, and the other. And what was great about the project, we were able to introduce uh, the client to all of our favorite print partners who are also some of our favorite people. Um, And so this project got to touch all of our favorite um, print partners and manufacturers uh, to bring this to life. And that was cool too, because, you know, we had one person working on um, die cutting the hang tags uh, for all of the bottles and all the products. We had another person, uh, print company printing all the labels actually to wrap around all the bottles and all of the all of the sticker seals uh, that seal the box um, so the box is closed. Uh, you uh, think of like a tax stamp that would go over like a whiskey bottle, right? Yep, yep. You have to break open, and then uh, 
And then we worked with another company. Um, so the first was Autos in Newport, Kentucky. The second for the printing, um, all of the bottle labels was Steinhauser in Newport. Um, both of uh, those companies we love. And then we actually ended up working with another company out of Cincinnati. I think I think they're in Blue Ash called um, Graphic Village. And they, they're just a massive print house. And they were they were a pivotal partner in being able to bring all this together. Because again, what we were showing on the computer was a lot of pretty bells and whistles and gold foils and blind embossed and ABCs and Ds and like super sexy uh, textural substrate. Uh-huh. Uh, that was the biggest thing that we needed. And they were able to come through. What, what was interesting about that the first print run uh, was a print run of 56,000 um, packages uh-huh. uh, across 23 different SKUs. And the, the substrate that was chosen originally wasn't able to withstand um, it being pressed and then folded because uh-huh. it would show a crease. Yep. And no one checked that. So you're putting all these boxes together and you're like, you have this really pretty kind of sea of green or sea of cream. Um, and then you see this like hard line of what was white, but the paper wasn't white. Uh, it was just a hard crease splitting the fibers of the paper. Uh-huh. So we had to reprint 56,000 um, boxes on a completely different substrate of similar color. We ended up choosing Mohawk. I forget the bridal that we picked. Uh, and so it ended up working out, but you know, that's a lot of, that's a lot of paper just to thrown away. Um, but the client was super specific on what he wanted. And again, it kind of goes, goes back to that beauty polish. Like he had in his mind, we kind of sold him on this idea of like having this kind of picture perfect thing in hand. And you can't have picture perfect if it's, if it's creased up like 20 different ways with all the folds and folds of the lips and the, uh-huh. the bottom fields and the sides and stuff like that. You know, it's so important that tactile feel of premium products in their, in their boxes, right? Like if, oh, yeah. if not only from like the physical texture of the stock, it's got to have a little, a little grab to it, like a little tooth to it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Also the thickness of it, if it's a thin paper, like immediately the perceived value of that drops and then you start looking at the price and going, what for this? Right. Well, like, and you know, like people keep Apple boxes for a reason. Yeah. And I'm not saying, cause they're like, it's in their nightstand and they pull it out at three o'clock in the morning when they wake up and they're like rubbing their Apple box. But it's, there's just something about it that you're just like, oh, hold on to this, even though it doesn't yeah. do anything. It's the experience uh, it provides. Yeah, for sure, man. Like I have tons of whiskey tubes, tons of canisters of stuff that I just keep to keep. Um, and a lot of it ends up being kind of library stock for the studio to be able to reference if we haven't done it internally ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to be able to communicate to, you know, ex client and say, we kind of, what, we, what we're talking about kind of looks like this. We mean something like this. Uh, and then they'll say, well, how much did that cost? And then that's always like, well, what kind of car do you want to buy? Um, you know, it's like, do you want a Hyundai or do you want a Cadillac? And so, uh, and then figuring out and navigating those kind of, uh, those kind of seas of, uh, seas of cost, uh, to perception of what they want, um, is a whole other, you know, business, uh, job description in of itself, but being able to have good print partners in your corner, um, who appreciate when you bring them projects, cause I'll use their words, not mine. They, they always say, 
we love working with you guys, the studio, um, because you bring us the pretty work and I appreciate that. Um, and again, you know, I, for us, we want to make sure, and I tell, I tell our print partners that we work with, if this isn't fun, don't do it. Like we'll go somewhere else. Like I want you all to have a blast. And so knock on wood, I think most of our projects they're super jazzed about and we're super jazzed to work with them too and kind of introduce them to the clients. Now that's on the boutique side. Some of our larger clients, we can't, we don't have that much of a control. Yeah. Uh, we just don't. And so, you know, we send final art, final print production, and then we'll get something in the mail X amount of months later or year and a half later when it's on shelf, or we'll go out to, you know, target or X, uh, name liquor store and buy it off the shelf retail, uh, just to have it in our catalog here. Uh-huh. So it's a mixed bag. For sure. Well, on this one, I love how you brought up the the paper and the cracking when you were trying to fold it, you know, revealing the fibers inside. Um, so for so many premium projects, uh, especially in packaging, the amount of times a colored paper is chosen specifically for that reason over choosing a white paper and printing ink on it. Like right. it's so, so common because even if there is a little bit of cracking in that thing, it shows up the same color as the rest of the substrate. You're never going to see it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think, I think certain things can get away from that, but, but really having choice colored stock, uh, really is just a different differentiator between, between products. Now, if you have a white box, you know, you can argue that, but if you're going for this kind of deep forest green, yeah. printing that, printing that on whatever color stock you want, it's just going to be a nightmare. Um, and then these things go in the mail and they ship. And so, you know, God knows what they're going to look like when you, when X customer pulls it out of the box, exactly. it can be eaten to hell and stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, being able to, we appreciated them too, as a client being able to, it's an investment like that. Those kinds of choices are, are monetary choices. They're not, you're not, you're not talking like, Oh, am I going to do uh, inkjet paper or laser copy paper? Like those are, that's a financial investment versus uh, the alternative, just print green on white. Yeah. So you appreciated them sort of stepping up and realizing that, you know, the extra costs of that luxury paper is going to drastically improve their end product experience. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Cause not all clients do that. Um, So that, and for us, you know, we, we, we consider that an internal win. Um, and I think the proof's in just the, the physical pudding of it too. And they they were super happy about it. So can you share any of the costs on this? Like you say 56,000 boxes, you've got a premium paper. Can you give any sort of ballpark or idea on what that cost is? What does that cost from a printer standpoint? So, so I, so I maybe, I maybe botched the, the amount of paper. Cause I think it's more than that because I think the first pallet of the first print run was like 56 or $59,000. Okay. Um, and that's just print costs for boxes. Yep. Not bottle labels, not hang tags, not box ceiling stickers, just box cost. Yeah. Uh, so now that I've, now that you're asking that question, like that's where that numerical number comes from. I'm sure I think maybe it was like 200 something thousand. I forget. It was just an astronomical amount of boxes that were kind of like, Oh, we can't do anything. And we had to go back to, we had to go back to a print run. Then the client was able to negotiate. Now I don't know the details on that. Um, was able to negotiate, um, 
a second print run. I don't know how all that shook out. Um, but, uh, but yeah, everyone kind of made, made right, made well. Yeah, and good. they, they, yeah, which was good. Um, but yeah, I, it was like 56 or $59,000 just straight box cost. Yep. Yeah, so, which isn't too, isn't crazy surprising. I did an order for a cannabis company uh, out of Vancouver, BC here, and the box cost, like the per box, it was a shorter run, something like uh, I want to say like two or three thousand boxes, so a pretty small run. But to give this context, the paper was flowing in from Italy, air freighted in from Italy. It was right. a astronomically unique paper like it was a super thick all black uncoated board Mm. and they wanted a highly registered die cut and specialty silver foil on this thing and they all and it was three pieces there was a bottom piece a telescoping piece and the lid um and for all of this to go together i want to say it was something like 40 grand did they blink were they like what are we talking about or were they like okay here you go no, I was shocked. I gave them the price and I said, and I, I tried to like pad it like in the sense of like warm them up to it. Like, just so you know, guys, there's air freight from Italy in here right. in order to hit your deadline. That's what we have to do. It's kind of expensive. And I'm like trying to soften it. We're printing this on killer shark skin. Like, <laughs> exactly. I and then uh, they went, yeah, sounds great. We'll have a deposit to you tomorrow. Fantastic. Let's go. Yeah, those are um, Giddy up. what's great about those clients. We have a handful of those clients as well, but uh, they're they're rare like a unicorn. Yep. And, and um, you, yeah, you have to you kind of have to pad the bad news, and then when they're like, okay, yeah, sounds good, checks in the mail, you're like, did you hear me? Like, <laughs> you, okay, like, I think you uh, misheard a zero. Hang on here. Sounds, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, you're missing a few zeros and a couple comments, but. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, those those are few and far, but but when that does happen, then you get super amped and you're hyped and you're like, hell yeah, and it kind of kind of re-energizes you on the project because yeah. again, you know, vectors vectors are you know brain power. Uh, that stuff doesn't that stuff doesn't really cost uh, too much in terms of um, just it's intellect, right? But but it's a uh, intellectual property. But you know, to get it from your computer to uh, to print. Is just a whole separate cost, and so we're we very much say in all of our estimates and all of our contracts, unless we need to, um, which is I think never. Um, we 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 have a very strong uh, clause in there that says that Durham is not responsible for any production cost mm-hmm. ever, um, and that we're not even responsible for production estimates. Yeah. Uh, We'll introduce you to you know the, the partners we work with, but that is outside of our jurisdiction of anything. Yeah, you guys work. So out if of this is what you want, which I don't want, yeah, you got it. You have to, you know, if you want this whole thing to be foiled, that's going to be a lot more expensive than having this thing, you know, just printed yeah. uh, digitally or whatever the case may be. So uh, yeah, we definitely we definitely try to uh, stray away from those kind of conversations because early on. We didn't, didn't necessarily have that clause, and so kind of got caught in some you know, just you know situations you don't really want to be in. Um, so now we're a little bit more uh, proactive in that and very upfront and saying, "Hey, listen, like this is just all this is thought starters. If we want to get real, real, then we can bring on print partners and make this thing real, real. But that's going to be a separate cost from what we're talking about between yeah. us and you, for sure." 
Um, so with this box, you, you sort of talked about the dollars that went into this, you know, got some nice paper, specialty finishing. You've mentioned some embossing and foiling. What did, what did you guys do with this thing or specialty finishing? What'd you add? Yeah. So it, there, there was, um, some embossing, uh, of gold foil. Uh, there was, um, I think some raised embossing as well, uh, uh, on some certain sections. Um, gosh, what else did we do? Like it, so it was one of those projects we wanted to make sure, I think I made mention of this earlier. Like we just wanted to have this thing, have this kind of like classic timeless look to it. CBD kind of has like this, like seven 11 vibe to it. Like you can go and grab CBD at like any gas station in, in the U S or, mm-hmm. you know, these, um, these chiropractors are like CBD salt here and like all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And these people aren't that. Um, and where they, where they get their hemp and they get their products, um, isn't cut from that cloth. Uh, they definitely pay a premium cost for their product and how they manufacture and make it. So we wanted to make sure what's inside the bottle is reflected on the outside of the box. Yeah. Um, and so we didn't want to go heavy handed, um, but we wanted to kind of give it this kind of cologne esque look and everything that's there needs to be there. We didn't want to have a bunch of design fluff, right? And there's a lot of legalities, well, ish legalities with, um, with CBD uh, in terms of ingredients and things along those na- uh, and supplement facts uh, of that nature. So we had to have that. Those, that stuff's always like anti-sexy uh, for the most part. But anything that we could, anything that we can control outside of the law, uh, we wanted to make sure was purposeful and, and served a reason uh, for being uh, on pack. And so the front of pack is super clean. And it says the brand, you know, Kentucky Crafted with these two hairlines above that said Kentucky Farm and then below Kentucky Proud. And so they actually, we came up with a tagline um, and they ended up trademarking it, which was Kentucky Farm, Kentucky Crafted, Kentucky Proud. That's kind of these like three pillars of, of their reasons to be. And, and then it just had this real simple um, uh, system in terms of a sticker sealer on top that no matter what we're doing uh, and what they come out with, it, it has enough flex in it to um, grow as their product line grows. Mm-hmm. But you know, we're not changing, we're not changing like the color of the sticker each time. We're just changing like the color of the SKU name. Uh, so, you know, if it's mixed fruit or if it's uh, strawberry guava or, or they have dog CBD, which is savory chicken, like those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and just made, you know, I would say simple choices that were strategic in thinking about the longevity of this brand and as they grow with their products. Because you don't want to give you don't want to give a client um, a toolbox that has a bunch of tools in it that they don't necessarily know how to use. We like to be able to strip things down, um, and we'll work with a lot of our clients. We're we're on retainer with, and we have long lasting relationships with. But sometimes, you know we'll do final handoff and say, Hey, here's everything. You have to update it if they don't want us to update it going Mm -hmm. forward. So we want to make sure it's as simple as possible, but it's also, um, impactful as well. And it doesn't break the system that we spent months and months and months and months agreeing on and building together. For sure. So that that was, that was kind of, that was, that was the bells and whistles on that. And then, you know, we, we tried to match the substrate, of the box to the sticker labels. It's obviously a different adhesive because of uh, the the labels on bottle have an adhesive back. But again, you, you made a mention earlier about toothy. 
all of this, all of this whole project had kind of a, a toothy, tactile nature to it. Um, and same thing with Hanks. Everything that you felt can to be uh, of similar feel. Awesome. So that was consistent just throughout the experience of the product. Yep. Yep. You got it. Beautiful. Um, did you guys go do press checks on this thing or what was involved with the proofing and process? Yeah. So uh, we did. So we went to as many as we could and then COVID happened. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, you know, I, this product wanted to come out um, the first week of November of 2019. I think it launched May of 2020, maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we we were we were present for as much of that as we possibly could be. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, and then you know certain things just were out of our control, and so we couldn't we couldn't go do it anymore. But um, yeah, for the for the most part, though, we were pretty in touch and if we weren't physically there we you know we were getting 25 pictures texted to us yeah yeah the old the old facetime press check oh 1000 percent. yeah <laughs> um that's awesome and i've seen pictures of this product and it's absolutely oh, yeah, beautiful ask, it's a I'm wicked you've seen it yeah no yeah i definitely saw it when you guys uh, first started sharing it on instagram Thanks, bro. appreciate that man yeah you know it's it's just the it's just a simple guy. It's, you know, it's nothing, it's nothing <laughs> that's really it. about in terms of just like, whoa, graphic design my face off. But it's like, again, yeah. it's those things where it's just like everything has its place. Uh, and uh, I'd rather, I'd rather look like a nice uh, uh, living room that's set up tastefully than, you know, a crowded room with just a bunch of clutter around it. Mm-hmm. Classic Durham, just like, uh, you know, just um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Not really, not to, you know. It's just a little sum, just no big deal, no, no flash, no attention. Well, you know what, man? I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Doing beautiful work, but you're not shouting it loud enough sometimes, right? Uh, oh yeah, dude. Like I'll give someone else a megaphone for that kind of stuff. I can care less. Yeah, I'd rather. I'd rather. My biggest thing is I'd rather let the work speak for itself, and if people are into it, cool. But you know, I'm not going to van a wide it off the top of a mountain uh, <laughs> for the internet. For the internet to appreciate it more. So the timeline on this project from, okay, here, here's, here's what this is going to look like to holding the first box in your hand. What's that timeline like? I'm going to tell you. Let me look. Um, so we, we signed a contract in, on 8-2-2019. I don't think we saw a box until February. That's that's a good amount of time. Yeah. So there was uh, there were some logistical things uh, in, in between, and it maybe it was January, but I don't I don't necessarily think it was maybe maybe it wasn't that soon. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but we it it was it was definitely it was definitely a while. There was a lot of design time. There was a ton of concepts. Um, uh, again, like I said, the project snowballed into more SKUs and everything else. And so we were internally trying to figure out how we're going to manage all of that yep. uh, and have, have it all fit together. Uh, but it definitely wasn't until into 2020 for us to actually see something in person. Now, we went, we went to uh, the print shop to go and, and look at stuff. And, you know, they're saying like, oh, maybe we won't do gold foil. We have this printer. I forget the name and the SKU. Uh, that prints simulated 
foil, which looks cool, uh, but and it looks real. But again, going, going back to that authenticity, genuine aspect uh, that I think the studio's um, known for to a degree, uh, I'd rather make it than fake it. Yeah. And if the client's if the clients on board with that too, then you know, high fives and let's do that. So he they were definitely on board for that as well. Um, and I think too, like with, with us, we, we use whiskey a lot uh, for just for visual inspiration. Um, again, we're in Kentucky. We're cut from cloth. We, we do a lot of it. Um, uh, we hate to drink it. Absolutely just hate. I can't even stand this stuff. <laughs> I just open a bottle and somehow it just disappears. Just, I hate it. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, whiskey's a great category uh, that's a cross category for a lot of our clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when it comes to print, because they, they categorically speaking, just do a great job of um, being detailed when needed uh, and being uh, production conscious and all conscious as well. So we try to take the mass approach even to boutique brands as well and they blow up. And uh, yeah, you know, I think it's worked out for us, but no, back to the box. But yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely, 2020 for sure. So describe that feeling for me when you, you know, you've designed this thing, you've gone to some press checks, you've FaceTimed some press checks, and then all of a sudden you have the samples arrive, the finished things arrive at your office. What's, what's that feeling just before you open that box? So I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest with you. Like the romance of that's gone for me because it's one of those things where everything leading up to that is, is, usually pretty crazy and wild. Plus we have other clients that we have that for too. Like I, I've lost the, I've kind of dulled my edges on like the kid with the Christmas box when it comes in the mail, mm-hmm. because I'm more, I'm more wired to be like, Oh shit, something's going to be wrong. <laughs> so I open the box like worst case scenario. So you're terrified <laughs> opening up. Oh box. my God. Like, listen, I'm a trash human being. Like I, yeah, I'm terrified. Like, that's like, there's going to be a typo. Something that's not going to be wrong. Like miss a lot. Cause here's the other thing too. You can center stuff all day long on an artboard. Uh, but doesn't mean it's going to come centered on, on a off press, nope. uh, which is a whole other, which just drives me crazy. But that's a whole other thing um, that you have to work through. Uh, so I'm looking for like, I'm looking for the bullet holes before I open the box and I'm pre pre running through. And then if there's no bullet holes, I'm like, Oh, cool. It's, it's, which is so, which is such a weird, uh, which is such a weird thing to say, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. Like I don't, I don't get high off my own stock, um, anymore, but I think there's goodness to that. And I, uh, I, when it does come through and it's, and it's bulletproof, uh, which isn't always just to be honest. Um, I'm like, okay, cool. Like that's a win. We won that one, but then it's kind of like on to the next. Right. Yep. Uh, but back in the day, though, it was like this like romantic thing. Like, like I said, I can't. It's like opening a. You remember being eleven years old? Your parents were like, uh, uh, you know, Terry or Stephanie. You have mail, and you're like, "What do you mean I have mail?" And you like get all like anxious and excited, and then you read some letter from your teacher or whatever the case is. <laughs> exactly. Like I used to be that way. Um, I used to be that way with a lot of print projects, uh, and kind of had like this is the only project that mattered. Um, idea, but after a while and doing a ton of print um, and just going through the ebbs and flows of the things that can go right and things that can go wrong, it kind of dulls the knife a little bit. 
but I like it being dull because then, like I said, you're not smoking your own stock and uh, you're taking it for face value like someone else is going to take it. Like this is think I'm, this isn't something I'm, I'm worshiping as hard as the, as the customer who's going to buy it. So we're looking end, at it like, did we execute this well? Yeah, yeah. Because at the end of the day, you know, uh, it's I make a joke, but I think it's true. Like I, th- uh, a lot of projects the studio does is you beautify landfills. This stuff goes in the trash, and if it goes in the trash, that's a win for us because that means that the customer used it and spent it. Um, and hopefully would want to buy another one. It served its purpose. It served its purpose. Exactly. So they, I just hope they recycle. That's all that's, you know, but I can't control that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but yeah, you know, a lot of, a lot of print and packaging ends up being in the trash, but if it's in the trash, that's a good thing. And so I don't view our work as trash, but I view it as I try to view it as a customer is going to view it. You know, I try not to get like my eyes crossed and super granular on like, the way certain letters are current within a body copy paragraph of, you know, whatever the information is. Uh, no one's going to, no one's going to notice that kind of stuff. We try to make sure as when it goes out, it's dialed in, but you know, when it's real, it's different. And so you're, you're looking at it a little bit more uh, under a magnifying glass. Uh, but 98% of the people who are looking at it are just going to buy it for whatever the reason may be. And then they're going to use it and they're going to throw it away. So I try to have that kind of separation between, you know, project and self uh-huh. and the consumer mindset versus like, I just birthed the baby and I need to stare at its whole body and like notice all the lines and wrinkles and freckles and moles and, you know, whatever else comes on a baby. Uh-huh. I, I'm out of the baby game. I don't remember, but uh, you know what I mean? Like I don't have that. I don't have that. Like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> It came from me. Like I don't have that anymore, which I think is a good. I think it's a good uh, uh, perspective on just work, because then it keeps you kind of out of what you do, um, and it keeps you from like worshiping what you make, and keeps it kind of on shelf to a degree, and uh, just appreciate that you're able to make it, and then go and make something else. Well, it's so true because as beautiful as you're making packaging or print, as you know, amazing as this is to hang on to, and as beautiful as it is to hold and look at. Um, at the end of the day, if it doesn't serve a purpose, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Right. Exactly. No, exactly. So uh, I, I know a lot of people that, you know, I know a lot of people that, you know, worship the portfolio, which I get and I understand the reason behind that. But um, I'm by the time, by the time the box delivers at the studio, we're on to the 15 other projects that we have going on to where you kind of forget some of the, minutia that you were sweating about six months earlier three months earlier when you were working on it yeah. and so you kind of see it with fresh eyes it's kind of like oh this was just on shelf so i don't know i, I appreciate i appreciate that perspective because i went at other times when we are in the weeds um from a to z on a print project um you 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 get lost in the weeds and you you somehow like forget like what you were even doing or you get lost in the revisions of the concept or there's a plethora of things that you can just get fixated to that you're just like, Oh, what, like, what are we talking about? (laughs) We're on a project right now. That's, that's literally that way. Um, we have been doing it for four months, uh, packaging projects. And when we get emails, like I I'm reading what they're saying and I know what we're talking about, but I'm lost. I'm lost in the dialogue on where we are within the concepts. Mm -hmm. If that makes any sense. And so, you kind of have to go, oh, like, 
clear the brain fog and kind of like really, really read every word to know exactly what they're talking about. But you know, that's just part of it. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not as romanticized as I used to be. Um, but I think that's for the betterment of just me personally. Got it. So Austin, what advice would you give a designer who is new to print or wanting to get started in print design? Uh, learn from somebody else. Um, I think that, I think that print, print is made for people. Um, this print isn't self-expression. It can be, uh, if you're doing it for, you know, yourself or your own little print project, whether it's a magazine or, you know, some sort of package design, you know, I think a lot of college kids like doing some sort of craft beer can brand, whatever the case may be. Um, but print primarily is made for other people, not yourself. Uh, and, uh, other people, uh, are, other people are the ones that really kind of define the worth of whatever you're doing with that. I think that's kind of design in general. Um, but, uh, print is a print's not an easy medium to be a part of. It's just not. And there's a lot of other partners and players that are involved in the process, uh, that you need to learn from, um, and learn the right way. Uh, so you can continue to make print projects again, this isn't an RGB world. This isn't something you made in Illustrator, or Photoshop, or fill in the blank program that you use, and you throw it up on the internet for a bunch of double taps. That's not. That's not. That's not the case. There's probably about 50 other people on this project that are bringing this thing together. Uh, specifically, if you're working with a big print house that runs three shifts, uh-huh. uh, this has to pass through a lot of hands uh, for it to become real, and whatever they taught you in school is probably wrong in terms of the length and the process and the people and partners in place to make this stuff happen. So I'm true. Not, I'm not saying that's a blanket statement to universities, but what I said earlier, your two month print project that you had to go to Kinko's or go, you know, whatever. And then you're exacto knifing something up and your glue sticking it, this, that, and the other, like, that's not what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's, it's, it's a lot it's just a deeper layer of cake within design uh, that you have to respect because if you don't, then you're just not going to be a part of it. So if you like print, uh-huh. cool. Uh, but you, um, uh, and I'm kind of specifically talking more 3D stuff, right? Not like well, screen printing. Yeah. Do you can home depot that stuff and buy whatever you want all day long um, and, and DIY it uh, uh, forever and ever. But things that have things that have complexity within die lines, learning how to work in a die line, uh-huh. learning, learning how to make a die line if it doesn't exist. So that's a brain bender um, uh, to figure out uh, if you don't know what you're doing. Like those kinds of things just aren't necessarily um, taught; they're learned, uh-huh. and that's why a lot of production folks uh, are um, older, middle-aged people because they're kind of cut from this. A generation or two back uh, when a lot of these agencies had um, big production staff uh, and they that that's what they do so you know no I don't think a lot of people are coming out of college and saying I want to be a print production person um, even though it's a great place and a great asset to, to know about and learn from but yeah it's a lot harder than uh, just graphic designing something Definitely. And I always say to like, go to a print shop and have a tour, like a look around because you can, especially if you're fresh out of school and you've never been inside of a, like a real print shop where there's some big equipment. Right. You know, when somebody says, I'm going to go print a brochure to you, you're thinking this little digital 
printer like on the ground and paper goes from one end to the other it's 10 feet long and it's all done in the end right no it's the opposite like the place reeks of sweat and just (laughs) and hotter than hell and 200 people and you're going room to room to room and they do this over here and that over there and then they transport this and that like it's just this like maze of chaos that a lot of times i don't even get Um, (laughs) and uh in certain projects you know we work on like i'll tell clients well well, i'll say i think we can do this uh and i'll make a phone call but hey can we do something like this what's great about having print partners um that you appreciate is they'll say hey we can do this but like this so for Mm -hmm. instance having crafted they were talking about the simulated gold foil we ended up not going that route but i had no damn clue that that was even a real thing and it looks pretty damn real yeah so you know down the road if you know whatever client wants some gold foil we would offer that as a service because just i print such an old medium but the printing capability and what printers are able to knock out in terms of machines are just changing yearly always evolving Uh, yeah yeah, exactly so and that's that's exciting too definitely is um also i want to wrap this up with what i call the ask the audience questions where i've got this group of designers that follow the podcast and print design academy and and they like to sort of engaging and talking about design and it doesn't have to be print related um but what's a question that you'd like to ask this group of primarily younger designers um who are eagerly you know learning about print design and just design in general yeah for sure um i so i guess i guess my question is my question is going to come off as like a dad question. Um, nice. uh, but, uh, it's what you're doing with your life, son. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like, why don't you go to the design group? No. Um, uh, no, I would say this, I would say, remember, I don't even know if this is a question. It might be a statement. I'll see if I can toggle this into a question. Um, eventually, uh, I think, I think it's, I think it's, better for everyone to go work for other places and, and, and no matter you know no matter who you follow on the internet or Behance or whatever the case may be um, all of these people were cut from um, someplace else uh, so don't get don't get lost in your inspiration to not know who you are within a print designer um, or a designer in general uh, I, I think that's that's my overarching dad statement uh, I guess my my question would be then, what kind of design do you want to make for the future of graphic design? Which is a heavy question because uh, design's constantly changing, um, as it should. Design is uh, as much as, as it is timeless and as it is current to current events. Um, and I'm just interested, and I've talked to a lot of universities and, and students as well. Like I'm interested in seeing what they're interested in. Cause it's the opposite of what I'm interested in. Uh, and it's just kind of a weird, maybe it's a generational thing. So you're not so, into TikTok? No, I no Hell no. <laughs> uh, are they banning that in Canada? I know Trump dogs trying to ban that here. I don't think uh, so. You don't think so? See, I, I don't know. Um, but, uh, graph to me, to me, graphic design is a thing to be taken seriously. Um, and I would just, I would just hope that everyone that listens to this um, takes it seriously as well, because you're, you're, you're blessed with a gift and a tool to really make change. Um, especially in just the, the cultural climate that here in the United States that we live in and I would say globally as well. Um, so, you know, 
when you're sharpening your, your graphic design knives at night, just like check yourself and like, why, why are you doing what you're doing um, and who are you doing it for? Because if you're doing it just for your portfolio, then you're probably not doing it for the right place. So I like, and, the, I like the way you went through that. Question. Can, That's more of, again, it's kind of bad truth. Yeah, you can kind of boil that down to um, sort of what kind, does, what kind of design do you want to make and who is it for? Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I'm not a teacher because I'm like I, I would just talk. I wouldn't ask questions like give like <laughs> kind of like talk around the fence of where I'm trying to get inside of. Uh, so you yeah you summed it up perfectly. Yes, the sales guy in me. Boil it down. Ask the hard question. Get to the point. Right. Yeah. I'm like I'm trying to sell the car. Like now, look at these side mirrors right here. <laughs> yeah. The tires on this thing. You fit about eight people in this thing here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you know, I think I think yeah, I think that matters, especially you know. I couldn't imagine right now being being a young designer, um, uh, and and it'd, it'd be it's everything's just wild and crazy and on fire and upside down. But mm-hmm. but you know, design design can very well right side up that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, people people like us, like I said, are blessed to have a visual voice. Um, and how you how you articulate that voice is completely up to you. Um, I would hope you would do it responsibly. And that's, that's, that's that. 100%. Awesome. You've reached the end of the print design podcast. Thank you so much for being my guest today, man. This has been awesome. Thanks brother. Appreciate you, man. You see, there's so many awesome things with print design. Not only are you adding tools to your toolbox and more services that you can offer, but you're getting to create these amazing, tangible things that go out into the world and make a bigger impact on people's lives. So print design is rad. And if you are interested in getting into it, and if you want to understand a little bit more about the business of print design and how to increase the revenue of your freelance business, your side hustle, whatever you got cooking there, head over to printdesignacademy.com. I have a free download there of the top three ways that you can increase the revenue of your freelance career using print design. So go check that out at printdesignacademy.com. And as always, if you love what you're hearing here on the Print Design Podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you're listening, leave me a rating and a review. That would be fantastic. Have a good day. Later.